Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Aussie Notes podcast. I'm Daniel and this week we're going to talk about Big Trouble Little China with someone whose real name, I assume, is On A Night. How's it going, sir? <laughs> it's going well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You have a podcast, uh, Soiled Restroom Cinema. Yep. It was really funny and I wish that you'd do it again. <laughs> we're just on a hiatus. We took a little break, stepped away for a little bit, but we're, we are coming back. There, there's plenty more films to flood, so we're not quite done yet. Excellent. I was listening to you, um, Nostalgia Critic, a bunch of others for like a period of four years, and I'm like, I want to do like a bad movie podcast. And turns out I just made a bad podcast <laughs> that's miserable all the time. I saw um, Sharknado 3, which I fucking love. Um, <laughs> We, I talked about that one on uh, One Good Thing podcast. That, that was a great time. And then I saw the Star Wars Holiday Special, which made me hate Star Wars movies and Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two, yeah, two for one on that. Yes, it will do that. It will. Ugh. But so luckily I decided to focus on good movies, but not only good movies. Movies that people say is one of their favorite movies ever. So... Why is Big Trouble in Little China one of the best movies ever made? <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty lofty, uh, lofty sentence there, and a loaded one, too. I, I, no, I don't I have to step back. I don't think it's maybe the one of the best films ever made. It's one of the best films of the 80s, by far, and it's also one of the most underrated films of the 80s that probably only a fraction of people have actually seen, uh, you being one of them, because you just recently saw it. So this was a film that nobody really knew about, and people are now discovering 30 years later and now they're realizing what an amazing film it is uh, this far down the line. like you. <laughs> I guess I'm one, yes, I am one that will champion this film. Uh, I saw it in the theater in 1986, uh, which is a testament to my age at this point. Um, but I didn't like it. It came out in the early July, right before July 4th weekend, or July 4th weekend, it came out on July 2nd. Barely opened in just over a thousand theaters across uh, the U.S. And it bombed. And I saw it and I didn't like, like I said, it was indifferent to it. Ever like everybody else was indifferent. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. At that time, I did not get it. It wasn't until it came out in home video a couple of years later that I re-rented the film and then it clicked. What made you change your mind? Uh, the box cover art. Uh, if you're a fan of video stores, as I'm sure some of these listeners are, many of them are, uh, they would have all these great box covers and the, the, the cover art is usually what drove you to rent the movie because we didn't have the internet back then. Uh, the, the poster was just a poster from the film and that was done by the legendary uh, artist Drew Struzan who'd done the Star Wars posters and numerous other credits to his name. He did that poster art. And so when I saw it in the video store when it came out, I was I, it, the poster art drew me back in. I'm like, you know what? I need to see this one, you know, again, because something's calling it back. It's calling back to me. And then when I put it in, then it clicked immediately. Then I, then I got it. Like once you get it, then you're in. And from that point forward, it's one of actually the maybe five films that I know all the dialogue by heart. It's one of these films where you can actually, where you just know, or I can listen to a musical cue and know what scene it is. So that's, that's what, that's sometimes that these films have that effect where you, you really bring it into your life and it stays with you. This one, Star Wars, the first one, episode four, I should say, and uh, Raiders and a couple of others, only a handful, not, not many. I I love that when you when you see a movie as a kid like Star Wars or uh, this one or like any other one, it just sticks with you, especially if it's like made really well and it's targeted to you. Yeah, exactly. I was writing the yeah I was yeah I was in the, my teenage years by the eighty six Star Wars. I did see in the theater in seventy seven. That's that's almost life changing um, because you're just you know I was nine years old you know or eight years old when I saw it. Um, but as you get, you know, and, but yeah, that, that Zycast from the late 70s and all of the 80s had some amazing creative films that really registered with a lot of kids during that time, that era, uh, which we obviously were regurgitating over and over again today. So obviously this stuff does stick with you. Um, yeah, we, we regurgitate a lot. But what we've done is uh, today is that we've moved past like pure superhero movies and now everything's self-aware. 
Yes. Like uh, the Avengers Endgame, which is going to be the last um, MCU movie I see. Uh, not for any particular reason, but just because I have to drop off at some point. It it's just has to happen. Uh, th that was the end one for me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm closing. I'm going to step away from the MCU at this point. I saw Endgame. You know, I invested 11 years of my life in 22 films. I, I think I'm good. Uh, so I'm going to let maybe five years go by before I, <laughs> before I dip back in. I can just watch them all at once because at some point you do have to step away. And you're right about that being self-aware. These aren't pure superhero films like Superman. These are, these are superhero films that are not necessarily winking at themselves, but know what they're doing. And they kind of play to the audience in that. And I, I don't think they're as nearly as memorable or as effective as just a pure superhero film like, like Superman and a couple other ones. And the first Batman, maybe. Uh, when, when I was watching uh, Big Trouble, I got Green Hornet vibes because it's not the movie, the show, because it's about some fat schlub who's just like, I don't want to be here. Everything sucks. And then you have uh, his sidekick that just is much superior to him in every <laughs> conceivable way. That was the reason the film failed, Big Trouble in China. Nobody got it. They didn't understand that Jack Burton is not the hero of the film, that Jack Burton is actually the sidekick, and it's actually his partner, Wang Chi, who's the lead of the movie. It's, re it's reversed, but because of our American sensibilities, we're used to see an American actor at the, you know, the forefront and center of these action films and expect to go with him and have the answers and know how to do all the moves and stuff like that, and they reversed it, and nobody got that. Nobody understood that, and that's one of the reasons why it, didn't, it bombed. But once you get that, once you understand where they're, you know, what Russell and Carpenter were going for, then it makes, it makes complete sense. And it's a lot more fun to watch because he's an idiot. Jack Burns, basically an idiot who's <laughs> in way over his head, has no clue what he's doing. And yet somehow survives, manages to, to power through. But, you know, he has Wang Chi at his side the entire time. And he's the lead of the actor. He's, he's the whole reason the story takes place. He's the re because his girlfriend gets kidnapped. That's, you know, he does, he has the full character arc. But Burton is just, yeah, he's a psychic. We you know, end up taking credit repeatedly <laughs> for stuff we either did or didn't do during the course of the running time. And it's a brilliant thing. And that's, you know, studio execs didn't get it. They didn't know how to market it. This is, there's a whole, they listed 3 million, I think for advertising on the, on this film and nobody know what to do with it, what to do with it. So when it came out, nobody went because they, they didn't understand it. And the people that did go, didn't get it either. So, but 30 years later, 30 now years we're getting later, it. Uh, we get it. Yeah. We're like, Oh, he's an idiot. But like the, everyone else is good. He's in the middle of this wizard. It's, it's fucking wizards. <laughs> I can't There's a lot. I, when I saw the trailer, when I, I didn't see the trailer. You just sent it to me. I'm like, cool, Kurt Russell, gang war, uh, a full Asian cast. That's neat. Uh, fucking wizards, man. <laughs> yeah, Chinese black magic. It's, it's a ghost story. There's, a, there's so much going on in this film. It's basically a martial arts film that uh, John Carpenter always had wanted to do. And he did it, obviously, and he just piled on all this other stuff. Um, and that's the other reason there's monsters in there. And then, like I said, it's easy for the audience to just be overrun with that. In 86, they were. They had no idea what to make out of it. Uh, and now, like I said, we're so used to seeing a lot of this stuff with Netflix and, uh, you know, a lot of television and stuff that's, that's coming down the pike and a lot of special effects stuff. So we're more attuned to it. But this is where it started. This is one of the films of the 80s where this stuff was laid out that we're imitating now, you know, uh, in 2019. It's because it happened like uh, around 30 years ago. So people in, that were kids in the 80s are now in their 40s or something. <laughs> and so they're making movies. And yeah, but they don't understand what make these movies special. That's the point. They're imitating these movies is what they're doing. They're not making unique voices and unique films on their own. They're just, they're just aping what's already been done in the 80s and hoping that they, they get it right. Some, most of them don't. I mean, there's a few that, that kind of squeak through here, but you know, you couldn't make this film today. I know there's, we can talk about that later. You know, there's, there's talk of continuation of this series, but um, yeah, this, uh, this and Buckaroo Banzai, which were written by the same writer, W.D. Richter, we'll circle back to him. There's no way that a remake or a sequel. Um, these are quirky, unique, 80 centric film. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're not going to catch it. You have to have the winky, we know it's silly. Sensitive, right. And they're going to try and make it sincere, which worked with it, right? Because in the 80s, that movie was dog shit. But <laughs> then they made it genuinely uh, scary, more or less, and made it serious, which is what people remember it being. 
Right. Uh, uh, there, there's a tendency to let the audience off the hook nowadays in a lot of in a lot of material. I don't think that's fair. I think they should be left on the hook and have you know people figure it out. But nobody, you know, everybody just plays it down now because uh, studios just want to make a lot of money, you know, on their opening weekend and don't really care if the audience has to think a little bit. Um, Big Trouble is a great example of having to pay attention and kind of work your way through because. Uh, they don't let they don't let the audience off at all. As a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, it took thirty years for the audience to finally figure out what the hell movie they were watching. So I think that's awesome. I think if you can you can have a film that you know at some point will find this audience somewhere down the line. I think that's great without letting them off the hook, uh, as we see now. There was a uh, a review. I forget what movie it was. So that's my bad. But there was a review that I saw for a movie that's like no one's going to see this, and then thirty years later it's going to have a cult following. Don't wait thirty years. Just watch it now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You should just you should be watching stuff now and then uh, not worrying about it 30 years from now. Uh, we weren't waiting around for this film or, or Buckaroo Bonds or any of this stuff. You know, we just kind of blew through the 80s and that was it. We had no idea this stuff was going to circle back around and become so iconic and, and loved and cherished. Maybe it's just because we have a dearth of entertainment now. You know, um, you know, I flush how many movies over and over again. They're just terrible, terrible films made now. Um, so says a lot when something 30 years old, 34 years old is, is still just as entertaining as it was, you know, when it was released. Does running a bad movie podcast um, make you appreciate the good movies more? Um, no, <laughs> I don't think they, I mean, no, I don't, I no, because they're two different animals. Um, Cause it, it, good and bad is always subjective. We try to pick films that have a lot of problems with them and then flush them. And we've taken films that really people liked. We've done a couple Marvel films and flushed them too. So anything you kind of slant towards that, uh, you know, I always appreciate good films. I mean, I always have to kind of counterbalance it. There's only so many bad movies you can watch and you have to go back and watch something good like this one or just the old ladies. It doesn't matter, but yeah, there are, there is always a balance. I will say that, but uh, I try to keep them separate. I tell you, you know, the, the, the flushing is generally separate from, because there's some fl films that we flush that, we, you know, I do like that are guilty pleasures. And, um, but still, not, nothing, there's very few films that are above the flush, <laughs> I think, for what, we, for what we do. You know, if, if, it's, if we can make funny, if we, we make it fun for people to listen to, then we'll do it. But, uh, so yeah, it's always a balance. That's good. I love Kurt Russell, just in general, and in this specifically, he's great. He was an excellent choice for this. Um, Carpenter's first choice. This is the fifth film they did together. Um, Elvis, uh, The Thing, Escape from New York. Um, I forget the fourth one. But then Escape then from L.A.? Was, yes, and then this was, the, this was the fifth one. Although I think Escape from L.A. came after this one. Um, so, the, yeah, I guess that was the five films. You're right. You're correct. Uh, yeah, so the, and he's a great choice. He, he got the material. He knew what he was doing and then was able to just play into that. Uh, he's, like, he's always a good choice. He's an underrated actor. I've always felt he's been underrated. He just keeps popping up and stuff. I'm like, oh, it's Kurt Russell. If this movie's bad, he won't be. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't really want to do this film initially. Well, he had questions about it because he did The Carpenter. All the films he'd done prior to this had bombed. He, was, he, was, he did a lot of films like Swing Shift, and there was a couple of those pr prior to this film that had just all tanked. I mean, obviously, that Escape to New York was a big hit, but then after that, uh, the Thing was a huge commercial failure, even though that's an, uh, a masterpiece uh, of horror cinema now. But that failed, and then he has you know, uh, subsequent films after that that just bombed. So when they got to Big Trouble, you know, even he asked Carpenter. He's like, I don't know if I'm the, I'm the best person for this. But uh, Carpenter believed in him, and, and now we have film history. The reason that I saw The Thing is because someone on Facebook was like, well, you've obviously seen The Thing, because everyone's seen The Thing. And then I'm like, I didn't see The Thing. And then he's like, dude! What the hell? <laughs> yeah, the thing is a masterpiece. Arrow Video has an amazing uh, uh, two-disc set of it, and Screen Factor, I think, uh, offers it as well. And there's a steel book of it. And they just released the, with the 4K transfer of the print, which looks like it was shot yesterday. Um, so if you haven't seen it lately, I highly recommend you to your listeners go back and watch the thing. It's, it's a real amazing film, and it's all practical effects, and it all holds up, and it all looks great. Unlike today's CGI films, which are totally forgettable. Oh my Ten God. minutes after you see it, you know? The, I didn't see the um, the remake of the thing, but the fact that they had practical effects and then painted over it in CGI <laughs> so bad. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you don't you don't really need that. Like I said, the, the thing holds up like the original. It's just an, like it's an amazing film, and in high def in the 4K transfer, uh, even all the special effects look great. They just look great. They all real and they're all shot. And here too, this is all practical work. Um, visual effects were done by Richard Edlund. 
who worked on Star Wars, and he did all the the visual effects, the lightning bolts, and all that stuff in this film, which he, looks he great. One's head explode. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm so gif of that. I had no idea what the context was. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he's very, yeah. So yeah, yeah they, had, they had like 2 million, I think, for the special effects budget on this one, uh, which was still less than they'd wanted. The, the budget, total budget was 25 million, uh, but it only grossed 11. I reckon I don't think if, if, this, um, if this had like great special effects, uh, it wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah, well, if it had, yeah, definitely if it had a CGI effects, I don't think it would have worked as well. There's such a charm in watching like that guy in the monster suit who pops up a couple times, who can barely move. That <laughs> poor stuntman who had to do that. But there's something fun, like in that floating head with all the eyeballs. That's all fun, practical stuff. And you just, it has a charm to it, a certain charm to it. A lot of these 80s films did. But if you just did it in CGI, it would just be another CGI creature. You're, just, you're looking at nothing. The actors are looking at nothing. So it's, you know, it's, hard to, it's hard to, you know, wrap your head around uh, and embrace. I said, um, What's your favorite design for one of the monsters? What in this film or yeah, in this film when they like? Well, so there's only two. There's only the eyeball, and then there's the uh, that that goofy looking thing. Uh, I wish they had a little bit more budget for the special effects. They are a little clunky, but they, like I said, the guy in the that he's an ape, I think. He's a cross between an ape and something else, and he just kind of lumbers and jumps around. So he's kind of fun, I think, with the big nails and stuff like that. I, I kind of like that one, but but uh, the eyeball is just weird. The eyeball creatures a little, but um. Fortunately, like I said, they had, didn't have the budget for any other creature. I think they wanted a couple other ones. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Here's the third one. There's that one that pops through the wall when they're underground, going through the, um, the bog of the dead trees. That thing's pretty cool. Now, that one I did like because um, it was quick, and it ate one guy, and then they blew him up. So <laughs> you're, you're, in and, you're in and out on that one. I, really, I don't know any of these actors because I don't follow actors' careers much. Um, but I'm really happy that they did an all Asian cast for this, aside from a few um, people like extras and uh, Kurt Russell and stuff. Uh, but having a mainly Asian um, cast in a movie called Chinatown makes sense. It totally they makes sense. They don't do that today. No, they're trying to do it more. Um, James Hong, of course, plays a villain, Lopan. He's a character actor who's been working, God, he's over 40 years or something. Uh, he has an amazing career. Victor Wong, who played uh, Egg Shen, uh, turned up a Kurt Russell, or I'm sorry, John Carpenter used him again in uh, Prince of Darkness, 1987. The following year, he was uh, in Prince of Darkness. So Victor Wong's been a character actor. Dennis Dunn has done, he did TV for years and years. He's done a bunch of stuff. Who played Wang Chi. And then there was a bunch of other ones. So yeah, and one of them was a stunt, ended up being a stunt coordinator. One of the guys, one of the Storms, I think, uh, and he worked with Carpenter for years. So yeah, it's great they had an Asian cast. I mean, he got he got a lot of flack for having an Asian cast, not treating not. He thought they were a lot of people thought they were pandering to Asians and making fun of them. But so he got a lot of flack initially about that. But obviously, it's not there because you watch the movie and everything's fine. They're not making fun of them. Um, but they're you know it's it's a great yeah it's a great multicasting. A lot of them are all multicast except for a couple the the leads. People that say you're just using them to because you're pandering, they're just racist. Or yeah. <laughs> Just like, well, they, yeah, they were because he got a lot of flack for nothing. He, he even asked, uh, you know, so how's the movie look? And he said, it looks great. You're not, and he asked the Asian actors, you know, what if they were being played down to. And everybody said, no, they were, he was doing a great job. And, you know, like you said, you've seen the film, there's nothing there that was making fun of anybody. I was so afraid that like stuff in this would be dated, uh, but it wasn't. People were, uh, everyone was treating them with respect and nothing was like completely out of date. No, it actually does. It holds up pretty well. I mean, with the exception of obviously technology, we have internet, cell phones, and crap like that. Oh, I don't but give a shit about technology. Technology right. <laughs> special effects, as long as it's like practical special effects, I think can forgive if it looks goofy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, like I said, but the film itself hasn't dated uh, really that, uh, with the exception of the, the advancements in technology. The film, you can still watch it today and, and it's still just as fresh and, and fun. Um, and you're not missing, you know, you find in films today. How many times have you seen this movie? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, I burned out that videotape. I remember I rented it, and then I bought it, and I had it on video for years. And they had, it was a long time before. I mean, it came to DVD, but it was a long time before they came out with a special edition. And then they finally did. And uh, the original Blu-ray special edition, the cover art is atrocious. And I would hate that. It was, they went with a different way with the cover art. So um, eventually, they put out a, Arrow put out a steel book and 
put some proper cover art and add a few more features. So it was, yeah, it's, it, it's been with me for, for many, many years. Um, I love the poster. As soon as I saw the poster, I'm like, I probably should watch that. And then I never did. And then you're like, dude, watch it. It's like, all right. But that poster. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Through Susan is a great, um, you know, artist. And he did the back to the future, I believe poster and star Wars stuff. And, he's had a long, long history and that's, it's a, yeah, it's great artwork and it definitely draws you in. Um, and that's, that was like I said, when you throw it on a box cover, you know, and put it on, on the shelf, the VHS shelf there in the video store. Yeah. It's, it's an easy rental. There's a company that puts out Blu-rays that um, are in cases that look like VHS cases. Right. And right. I, I forget the name of the company. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the name of the company. I have a couple of those though. They're slip covers. They're the slip covers on the, I think I bought Legend of Billy Jean and a couple other 80s one. Oh, Crawl. I think Crawl is one of them, which is a, another classic uh, 80s film that nobody's seen. Um, yeah, but that's, that's fun. That's, nice, that's a nice throwback and connection to nostalgia. I love um, movies that do like really niche things like that. Oh, really niche. Yeah, some of the, well, this one definitely is a, definitely is a certain type of audience. Buckaroo Banzai is really niche. And then, uh, wow, Crawl is <laughs> crawl, crawl's a whole other animal. I haven't so. seen Crawl's. You haven't seen Krull? Oh, uh, my God. You're in for a treat, sir. 1982. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was like a British version of Star Wars. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, it's kind of an amazing film. I definitely recommend you seek that out. I and your listeners, wait. if you guys haven't seen Krull, folks, get it. Yeah, Rent, that's goofy, but it's neat. Oh. I love goofy uh, and silly ones. I love movies that take themselves seriously, have dumb premises, and but aren't like... Uh, but know the right tone to strike. It's a very good balance. And this one yeah, does this, it all. Right. And the writer here, again, screenwriter W.D. Richter. Um, <laughs> the original screenplay was written by uh, Gary Goldman and David Weinstein, and it was supposed to be a Western set in the 1880s. So instead of Jack Burton having his like truck stolen, he had his horse stolen, and everything else played out in, the, in, the, in San Francisco in the 1880s. But they had to dump that for a modernized thing. So W.D. Richter came in and modernized it. And... Uh, Everything was discarded except for like Lopan's story. So then, and then Carpenter added some stuff in there as well. And W. Director is also known for writing The Adventures of Buck Rubanza, and they're very similar films. It's, in fact, it's a great double feature um, because the style of writing is very much the same. You're, you're hiring, a, a, you're writing a lot of dialogue that actors have to rip off really fast. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the key to it. Uh, that's, and his dialogue is really good. And that's what makes Big Trouble because there's a rhythm and cadence to the dialogue. If you really go back and listen to Big Trouble, everything kind of flows and it's quick. And, that's, and then because of that, it's almost like song lyrics. So it's very easy to memorize and just, just rip off you know, in chunks. And, that, and that, the, his style of writing has been like that. Plus, he throws in all this other goofy shit. I mean, you're talking, you know, like you said, it's a ghost story. There's Kung Fu and Buckaroo Banzai. There's red lectroids and other dimensions. I mean, you know, like as a double feature, these really two kind of pair together. They're almost in the same universe. It would almost be like a shared universe now they're doing uh, these days where Buckaroo Banzai and Jack Burton would exist in the same place. Uh, and now that'd be a film there. So... <laughs> <laughs> I I love it when when the movie starts and uh, that uh, driver I think is tourist tourist uh, bus driver and it's oh Egg Shen Egg Shen yes yeah and he tells his lawyer do you believe in magic and he just has lightning it's like irrefutable proof of magic and I'm like oh fuck there's magic in this awesome. yeah and that's and that was added that that they filmed that wasn't even in the movie the script they, the studio made them add that scene because they watched the movie and realized that jack burton wasn't that heroic so they wanted to have a couple lines of dialogue letting everybody know that he's the hero and that he was courageous but he's an <laughs> idiot like they didn't they missed it so that yeah i so they, yeah carpenter was forced to actually do that scene i like the scene i think it plays out and sets the film really well i think it kind of needed that in retrospect so i'm gonna i would agree with the studios on that one but uh yeah, like at the end of that but how does he know everything that happened? Because it's after the fact. It was after, this was at the lawyers after everything happened. So that yeah. was, there were. Yeah, but like, he wasn't there for like most of the thing. He was just there for <laughs> You're right, you're right. HN was, you're right. That's a good, that's a very good point too. Uh, we can argue that point. Um, I love frightening devices like that because, it's, because it never works. Every single time someone's like, let me tell you about this one guy. I wasn't here for most of it, but right. I can speculate. <laughs> Well, they also never go back to it at the end. It's not a bookended thing. So it was just, a, it was just something that the studio made them do. And then, and then the rest of the film just plays out straight. So 
Uh, but the best line of that is the end line where after he does the lightning trick and he leans in and he says, you see that? It was nothing. But that's how it always begins. Very small. And I thought that was a great setup to what would follow where something where an innocent, you know, seemingly yeah, innocent man. event turns into this crazy ass adventure for the <laughs> next 90 minutes of running time. You know, it just goes banana nuts. Oh, yeah. And also the running time. Because with things like this, you don't want it to last too long. No, no, it like, is real tight, real like, tight film. It was like two hours, two ten. I'd be like, okay, this bit is. Oh no, no, yeah, that's probably. But once you drag that, you can't. Right, right. Ninety nine minutes. minutes. Yeah, that that's the way you have to do this material. Just hit it quick and just just blaze through it. Um, so the audience just has to stay with the lead character. In this case, your viewpoint character is Jack Burt, Kurt Russell's character. Um, and you're still along for the ride, basically. Because he doesn't know what's going on, neither do we. So we're, we, have to, we just have to see everything through his eyes to uh, understand what's going on. But the faster you make it, the more people will pay attention. You start dragging shit out, and then you start losing the audience. They start checking their watch, and, you know, then you... I love that the point of view character for the audience is an idiot. He's, <laughs> he's a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like most, like a lot of the viewing audience, he just not, he just doesn't get it. <laughs> and yeah, he never. Got, I don't think he, he got it near the end. Finally, in the last, the, the very last, last scene between Wang Chi, he understood what had happened and the events that transpired. So he kind of got it, but it took the entire film <laughs> to get to that point. So for most of it, he has no idea what's going on. He's funny to watch, and we're, you know, like, and we're fun, and we're having fun with him. In the metatextual way, it's like, I didn't get it at first, but now I finally get the movie. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what happened 30 years later when everybody finally gets this film that nobody got in 1986. That was a tough, you gotta remember, this came out 16 days before Aliens. And wow. the hype for Aliens was huge. What a great couple of weeks. Oh, no, well, 86 was a great summer for movies. You know, I think Top Gun was that year, too. I mean, it was, it was an amazing summer for films. But, you know, there was all the hype around that. They had a, a bigger push, more advertising budget. So that was where all the ads were. So this film dropped, and nobody blinked an eye, you know, because everybody's basically waiting for Aliens at that point, which, as you know, is legendary, um, and understandably so. So, like, this film literally came and went in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame it never got. And they, tried to, they had to do this to beat out The Golden Child, which was released in December of that year, which is the same theme. Uh, Chinese mysticism. Uh, two films that about Chinese mysticism in the same year when there hadn't been one for 20, 30 years prior. Go figure that, right? Uh, and, it's, uh, it's, it happens quite a bit because people are like, you know what I haven't seen in a while? Chinese mysticism movies. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's make, let's make two volcano films in the same fucking movie. Yeah. Or, or the same year, right? We did that with Dante's Peak Volcano. Or let's do three underwater films. Let's do... Uh, you know, uh, Deep Star Six, Leviathan in the Abyss in 1989. So, uh, Deep Impact in Armageddon. Oh, yeah, but you're right. You're right, Deep Impact. Yeah, very good. So, they, yeah, every, this thing runs in cycles. And, you know, if there's one studio, it's another studio. Um, it's a shame this the film just didn't sneak in. Nobody, you know, we had to get the gold. And the golden shot of Eddie Murphy behind it, it was a bomb. That film was not very good. And Murphy's not very good in it. But uh, that got more of the attention because it's Eddie Murphy, you know, not her rehearsal. Where um, one of them will be a success and the other one will flop. That always yeah, Well, I think they both flopped. I think uh, Golden Child did marginally better, obviously, um, because of Eddie Murphy. But they both, uh, at the time, they just were not that memorable film. But now um, no one talks about the Golden Child and everyone talks no, about this. Exactly. So we finally found out which is the better film. It only took 30 years. No. <laughs> Sometimes you got to let stuff marinate. Just like a fine wine. You got to let it sit and then circle back to it. But kudos to companies like Arrow and Screen Factory and Chow Factory and some other companies out there that are bringing these films back, getting the licenses, getting new special features done, getting a 4K scan, clean up the print and all that stuff and reissuing this to modern audiences so we can rediscover them. I like, love otherwise, these, a lot of these films... Are, yeah. Like, As a matter like, of fact, in 2009... Uh, at, at the New Beverly Theater in L.A. I was out there. And New Beverly is now owned by Quentin Tarantino, by the way. And they always run 35-millimeter prints of films. It's a, it's a classic theater. Good on you pay. They always have all screenings of prints and are always done in 35-millimeter. So they were showing this film, Big Trouble in Little China, the midnight showing. I'm like, we got to go fucking go down there and see this, right? We go down there. It's a midnight show, mind you. Theater is packed. The print that they had didn't come from Fox, who put out the movie. The Fox didn't even actually have a working print of the film. They didn't have a print of the movie. They had to get this print, this 35 millimeter print from a private collector in London who loaned it to them to show at this showing one time and then sent it back. 
So even like, yeah, and it was incredible. And like I said, the theater was packed. Everybody was respectful. We all had a great time. But that, you know, and it was after maybe that in 2009 that now then it started building an audience again. And, you know, Arrow and Screen Factory started putting out special editions and started, you know, uh, getting the awareness out. But that, yeah, it's pretty bad that even like the, the actual movie companies these days don't even actually have working prints of their film. And thank God there was a collector that had a 35 millimeter print because Fox did not. Isn't that I crazy? Love- you that know? old, I love that movies sometimes play old movies. That cinemas play old movies. Oh, yeah, the concept. Yeah, Tarantino owns it and he has a hand in the programming now. So they show some, oh, it's always great stuff. If you're ever, and folks, if you're ever in LA, <laughs> by all means, go check out something in New Beverly. It's always film all the time. And they, they do some great double features and they do a lot of great work. Um, There's, um, my cinema is called Event Cinemas. And every Monday they play uh, one screening of an old movie one or two screenings and they did alien and it was the first oh. time I'd seen alien on a big screen. Yeah. It was on the big screen and I had, I people spoiled alien, but they only spoiled like what they thought were the interesting bits, like the gut, the uh, chest burster coming out um, and the xenomorph and every, and the fact that it's a horror movie and she's the last survivor, but all the in between bits no one ever spoiled for me because no one cares. And I'm like, they make the movie. So I'm glad that I saw it uh, not knowing that. Yeah, I want a treat to see it on a big screen. It's still, yeah, just celebrated its 40th anniversary like yesterday, I believe. I think it was or day before. So that's been 40 years of sale. And it's still just as scary. It's still just as relevant and just as scary. It's still a, a really scary movie uh, that holds up amazingly well. Not so much for some of the sequels. First two films, yes, after that. You get that dip in quality, but, <laughs> but at least for Alien and Aliens, uh, yeah, it's it's probably one of the best double features you'll see. And if you can see it on a big screen, yeah, that's even that's awesome. I've, that's, I'm envious. I have not seen Alien on the big screen. Oh, uh, it's well worth it. They do so much great stuff with sound. Yes, yeah, and that's why you should always try. Yeah, folks, if yeah, if there's old films that are screening in your town, make an effort to go see them. Um, because it, it makes it, I saw Ghost, you know, Ghostbusters. There's a lot of 80s stuff now that's starting to circle back. Fathom Events, we have that in the U.S. It does a lot of um, of these special screenings in main theaters. You know, and New Beverly is a special theater. but um, So they're all around the country, and you can easily go and seek them out. And I highly recommend it because you, you miss a lot of stuff on video. You know, on your, if you're watching your fucking cell phone or computer monitor, or even if your big watching, screen. If you're watching. There are, yeah, I know. And I'm telling you. Masochist. I know. I, I want to slap it out of their hands whenever I see you watching a film on your cell phone. For God's sakes, at least put it on your big screen TV at home, you know, and pay attention for an hour and a half. The smallest um, I'd go is like my computer screen because it's pretty big and people hog the TV. Yeah, well, that's the smallest I got. My, I have a 28 seven inch uh, monitor so on my computer monitor. So that's the smallest I go. I'm like, all right, I got at least I can do that. And then, uh, you know, I have a bigger TV. But, but if there's a screening and it's a classic film, you know, folks make an effort. Um, this film included. Uh, if you see stuff like this pop up, go see this stuff because, you know, some stuff is just really meant to be seen on a big screen with an audience. Uh, like Ghostbusters is a great example. And there's a few others. Kurt Russell is just, he's one of those actors that can make anything work because. Uh, he's great in this, but this is a great movie. He was great in uh, Christmas Chronicles, which is dog shit. Uh, <laughs> I actually did like Christmas Chronicles. I, I mainly because of your point. I think Russell's uh, sold it. He yeah. was really good. Santa Claus. He's like, and the rest- <laughs> no one's gonna see this. Let's put yeah. Kurt Russell in the Santa, and suddenly I just gave it four stars. Yeah. Uh, one of his most underrated films, which hardly anybody's seen, was Executive Decision. I think in 1990 with uh, Steven Seagal. If anybody hasn't seen that, I highly recommend that one. He was excellent. That's one of his best films, actually. I just have avoided all of Steven Seagal's movies because they all look terrible. But I'll well, yeah, that Executive no, Decision. No, no, no. I will because there's a twist, and I'm not going to give it away. There's a twist. So Steven Seagal is in it, but there, there's a twist, and then it, it flips the whole movie on its head. Uh, when you, and it's a great suspense thriller. Um, so I, highly, I have not seen yeah 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 they're, they're, so if you're not a Seagal fan you, you're gonna be okay uh, that's all I, I, I can't give anything away but it's a great and Kurt Russell like I said he was uh, he was hoping that film would have done better because he was really good in that uh, and it's got also one of the most suspenseful um, bomb diffusing scenes ever filmed I think but um, well, again, so, like I said I can't say anything but if you have not seen the film Executive Decision is definitely worth your time and Russell's great in it and he's been like great he keeps popping in and out of stuff you know, I wasn't a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, 
But in fact, I think we flushed that. I think that was one of the ones that did that didn't make it uh, in the restroom. But but I but it's fair. Yes, it, it wasn't a very good film. But but Russell's good at like Russell's Russell. You know, like he's do the he's always a hundred percent in his film. You never see him like you just said. Steven Seagal who just now is fat and bloated just like walking through the scenes. Russell always gives a hundred percent of performance. Like and you just mentioned the Santa Claus thing. Yeah, the movie's not great, but Jesus Christ, he's a hundred percent right. He's a fun Santa. Like, he's, so, he's one of the best he's, Santas I've seen in a while. I'm like this guy's really, awesome. The yeah. only of the Santa Claus that I really know is one from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, which was <laughs> flopped, and also the one from the Santa Claus, which is terrible. Oh, yeah, I think we flushed that. Oh no, that no, we didn't flush that one. We did. You we did one of the sequels. Yeah, we, no, no, we Jack Frost. I think. No, uh, maybe we might have flushed that. We also flushed one with um, John Lithgow and um, the guy who played Arthur. Uh, I forget what the hell. Oh, Santa Claus the movie. We did. If you oh, haven't listened wow. to that one. Yeah, that one. That one really sucked. But uh, yeah, so, so Santa Claus is a hard one to kind of get. But, you know, Russell was he's just he's basically Kurt, Kurt Russell. You know, yeah. you're basically, if you told just, me that Kurt Russell was the real Santa Claus, <laughs> I would believe you. I'd be OK with that. I think I'd be OK. Okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I saw him in interviews uh, for the Santa Claus, uh, for Corona's Christmas Chronicles, uh, and he's like, I've always wanted to be Santa. This is the yeah. greatest. Oh, yeah. He had a ball. Also, he did a film back in 79, 1980 called Used Cars. I don't know if you've seen Used Cars. I haven't. Um, it's with, uh, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, so Back oh, to the nice. Future, written by Bob Gale. It's a, it's a great comedy. Uh, but on the, the and uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory just released a Blu-ray of it with a brand new print of it. Uh, so folks out there, if you want to pick it up, pick it up. It's up like 18 bucks or whatever. But there's an audio commentary on there with Bob Gale, Robert Zemeckis, and Kurt Russell. That audio commentary is so funny and so good. I, when I watch the film, I always watch it with the audio commentary. Like I never watch it with the regular audio anymore because it's just so entertaining. And listen to Kurt Russell laugh, you know, for, for an hour and a half over this film he made in 1980. Is amazing. So, you know, so there you go. There's another, he's just, he's, a, he's generally a nice guy and he's fun to listen to and he's fun to watch on screen. So again, use cars. If you have, folks have not seen that, highly recommend that one. Big Trouble in Little China also has an audio com- commentary, but it's not on this disc. I have it on my arrow. Yes, it's on the main. Yeah, it, is, it was on my arrow. Uh, yeah, it was John Carpenter and Russell. It's good to a point. I think it's, overall it's good, but the problem is they drift away from the movie and start talking about their personal lives and their families and stuff. So that takes up a chunk of the chunk of the commentary. They're fun. Like Russell's laughing his ass off the whole time, and he, and Carpenter does relate some good stories about how tough the film you know was to market and put out and all this other stuff. And this also killed his um studio involvement. He didn't make another studio film for a long time after this one because this one failed. And then he did, um, he produced his own Prince of Darkness in 87 and They Live, which is a classic in 1988. They Live is uh, so that, good, man. It's a I great, yeah, there you go. And that was, and they were produced independently without any studio. He had to go back to not doing studios um, because uh, they killed him. They just killed his soul. Like every time he would do one, he'd get hammered. So and this one, you know, bombed out. And so he just said, forget it. So They Live has a fight scene that lasts for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, five minutes yeah. then fighting over a pair of sunglasses uh, it, yeah <laughs> i just watched it recently rescreened it uh again shell factory puts out a great uh new 2k scan of it and they have some great features on there and it's awesome so you can check it out uh it's a great it, that holds up amazingly well it's very it's still very timely and uh it's a fun movie and uh you know god bless uh roddy roddy piper is no longer with us but he gave a great performance in that uh which is definitely kurt russell could have done but it's, it was nice to see Piper, who was a real deal wrestler, uh, do that sequence. And Keith David was great in that fight, too. Oh, God. I, I love all of these, like, uh, silly 80s movies. Uh, yeah, because they're, they're fun. Yeah, because they're fun and creative. That's why you like it. Because they're, they're fresh and original and fun. And they, they, they're 100% in what they're doing. Like, the 80s was, like, the most creative decade for cinema. And I keep, I keep championing that, you know, and people argue that. But if you watch any of the canon films... Which and some of them are of <laughs> Jack, like Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren. That film shouldn't work at all. But you know what? That's a fucking fun movie. It's a great film because it's just unabashedly '80s. It's just everything was up there. There's a lot of creative energy in the '80s. It's for some reason we haven't been able to replicate going forward. The '90s had some, but it's man, post 2000, trying to recapture the '80s. 
I think maybe that's it. Instead of making just really good new movies and taking chances on individual IPs instead of just regurgitating the same shit. All the Marvel films look the same. I don't know if you guys, anybody notices. Everybody goes on about these Marvel films. The 22 films, they all start looking the same. And they're not fun to watch. I don't understand. Nobody gets that. They're not fun. They're, they're well-paid, technical films that I guess are entertaining on some level if you're a big Marvel fan. But they're not, none of them are fun with the exception of maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, which is fun, and uh, the first Ant-Man. But the rest of them are just you know, stamp and repeat, stamp and repeat. And so we've lost that individuality and unique little films that kind of perked up, you know, during the 80s. We don't know how to replicate that. These guys don't know how to make movies. They know how to ape them, but they don't know how to make new ones. And I think that's, that's, that's my issue. That's why we keep circling back to the shit that's 30 years old, like Big Trouble Little China and Buckaroo Bonds. That people, oh, great. Well, fucking make new IPs. Make a new big, you know, make something new that people are going to latch onto. So 30 years from now, you know, we can reminisce about how great, you know, the movie in 2020 came out that was awesome. I have good news and bad news. Okay. Good news is that there was a studio that was making great uh, independent and weird and fish sex movies, uh, <laughs> but it was Fox Search- Searchlight and <laughs> Fox. So fuck it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Once it went to Disney, that's the end of that. Everything's gonna be stamp and repeat. Disney, uh, you're in the Disney the most interesting studio. I know. Them. Yeah. Because they only <laughs> wanted like a couple of movies that they could make franchises of. And oh, no, it's just all franchise. Monopoly. So, like, no, they, they, they sucked the soul out of Star Wars. That's done. I mean, it's just all merch. It's all, these are all product films. These aren't, these, none of these Disney films are going to be any fun anymore. It's why uh, I have Netflix. Because yeah. Netflix is weird. <laughs> yeah, Shudder's a good example if you like horror and you want some really unique stuff. I don't know if you, I don't think you can get Shudder where you are. but I don't think so. Yeah, uh, Shudder's a great horror, so you can find new stuff there. Amazon Amazon Prime, I still champion that. There's a lot of unique shit on there, a lot of 80s stuff, guys. You can get caught um, up. I think they have Good Omens. Yeah, Good Omens, yes. And that starts on the 31st. I don't know when this is going to be released, but this will be out. And that's, uh, yeah, Neil Gaiman's. He wrote all six episodes and produced it, so that should be very good. So, yeah, there's there's stuff there. you got to look for it, guys. But um, there's just no studio stuff, is what I'm saying. There's no, oh, no mainstream. There's no if it, yeah, there's no, it's, all, it's all rubber stamped in the theater. You go to a theater now, and it's either a Disney movie. Well, it's, it's a Disney movie, and that encompasses 20th Century Fox. It encompasses Marvel. It encompasses Star Wars. So you got, once you get past that, then, well, then nothing. you got Universal, and they rubber stamp theirs. You go down for the So you may get one theater that has one quirky film for a week. So, um, <laughs> like in the 80s, which was every week, guys. This was every week in the 80s. Every week. Like, like, talking, when did Jaws come out? 74? 3 or 74. That's much. That's, but they're the, Jaws 3 was in 1983, so there you go. Because Jaws invented the blockbuster, but it took a few years for them to realize what a blockbuster was. Right, and then Star Wars cemented that. When yeah, and Star Wars cemented that in 78. And then after that, in the 80s, they're like, oh, cool. Let's make, like, big smashing blockbusters oh yeah we started with flash gordon in 1980 and just well, steamrolled from the 80s huh? exactly my favorite thing about you complaining that there's nothing original anymore is that um roger ebert and uh gene siskel were also complaining about that in the 80s <laughs> I bet they, and now they're not here to look back and agree with us so that's a that's a damn shame they didn't live long enough to realize that the 80s were a lot better than we're bitching about. But like, uh, I reckon that it, it takes a thing. So like we're, we're living in it. And then it, when we, when people are living in the 80s, uh, they're like, there's nothing original anymore because it's all the sequels to like uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween and stuff. But the, yeah. And then, yes. and then you had like, and then uh, now everyone just ignores those. And it's just like, look at these, we- this weird shit that got made. <laughs> and there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird shit in the 80s folks a little digging uh vinegar syndrome is another title that puts out weird stuff uh I, I, arrow films i recommend there's a couple other uh, studios that are just are getting the licenses to these films also there's a great film in 1986 i think the same year as it's called jake speed with wayne crawford if you have not seen jake speed i highly recommend that one uh arrow put out a, a special edition of it uh, but you should be able to find it. Um, it's a it's a great action adventure film that nobody saw. It has a really quirky script like Big Trouble. Um, so there you go. There's another and John Hurt's in it too. I should mention. Oh, but, John Hurt. So yeah. John no, but you, once you see Jake Speed, you'll get Jake Speed and be like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, Jake I'm Speed's just... one. Remo Williams came out I think in '87. Yeah. That's a great film. 
that nobody's seen. Again, that's Arrow Video has that one. I mean, some of the stuff you're going to have to pony up in order, folks, but it's worth it because these films are not mainstream, but they were great. They were released in the 80s and they are, they hold up. They hold up. Those two films, that's a great double feature right there. Uh, Jake Speed and Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. I saw a movie called, I saw 1984 and V for Vendetta back to back. And they're both about like an oppressive government that's uh, controlling their citizens through the media. And Kurt Russell is in both. And <laughs> not Kurt Russell, uh, John Hurt is in both. Yeah, John and Hurt, in right. one, he plays the victim uh, who is just being stomped down by society and is trying to have anything and it's gross and, I, and it's sad. And in, the, and in V for Vendetta, he's the villain. So he's a fucking yeah. traitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I missed. Yeah, John Hurt. I miss him. He he did some. He was right there. He did a great turn in Spaceballs. I don't know if you've seen Spaceballs. Did he? Uh, I haven't, but I saw the fact that yeah, he, he played the alien. He was yeah, he, his character <laughs> from Alien. Yeah, yeah, he came back and did the same thing for like a two minute gag, which is what the funniest joke in the film, surprisingly. But yeah, Hurt's always game for this kind of stuff, and like, and he was a good villain. He's actually a very good villain. He plays a Jake Speed. So if you like to see him as a smarty villain, uh, he's really good. And he has a couple good he gives about being a villain, kind of sum it up. So like I say, if you have not seen, um, I always champion these little films. They've blown by everybody. Uh, There's a reason that I uh, champion uh, filmmakers like Jordan Peele because Get Out was amazing and Us was pretty good as well. And even if you didn't like Us that much, it's still weird and independent and strange. And I want yeah, him to make more movies. Yeah, he will. Yeah, and he's put, again, that's a new voice. And like I said, we, I shouldn't like shit on the whole, like everything is bad now. There's, there's a lot of bad crap out there, but, but there are unique voices that are coming through. You know, Jordan Peele is one of the higher profile people, but there's some lower profile people too that are kicking out films that you will find on Netflix, that you will find on Amazon Prime. You know, you got to do a little digging. The main know, to, difference these days is that big studios won't, put them in cinemas anymore they'll put them on netflix or other streaming services so you gotta That's because you can't, down. right but you can't get to a big studio because disney monopolizes a you know a, a third of everything out there in the, in the theater they monopolize a third of the theaters with their stuff universal's the other you know is another third so by the, there's no this is where you go for the little films you have to go to netflix you have to go to amazon prime you have to go to shutter and a couple of these other streaming services you know, and now Disney's going to get into their own Disney Plus coming in November, and that's going to. Then they bought Hulu, so now that's more Disney. So that's that's going to take up your streaming thing. So God, now Netflix, I know Netflix is going to get pushed aside because people are going to be, and then Amazon Prime is going to get forgotten because everybody's going to pay up, pony up for the Disney Plus Hulu combo like, pack. I, I don't know who's going to survive the stream wars because we're in. It's like the dot com. Uh, yeah, but yes. Yeah. And yep, yep. now, now most people just have Facebook and Twitter and whatever. I know. I, I that's I'm, why I. <laughs> I'm not bet Warner Brothers, Netflix. Netflix will be for like independent stuff. Yep. Uh, then you got Disney, who is like this huge monopoly, so they'll be fine. And maybe Warner Brothers, and that'll that's be the three that will survive this. Yes, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm a proponent of, of physical media. I've been collecting collectible Blu-rays and steelbooks now for like uh, actively now for the past building up a collection for the past like year and a half. I uh, have I a um that because physical media is the way to go in terms of extras and bonus features and timestamps of the time that these films were made. And so, also, and then you can't get everything digitally. No, you can't, and you shouldn't rely on that because if the server goes down or digital goes bust, guess what? The only thing you're going to have left is your physical media. So, I, you know, that's always good. That's not going anywhere. If you once you own it, it's on your shelf, and you own it, so you can play it anytime. You can watch it. Also, these films have a wealth of information that you can't get just watching stuff digitally. And there's a lot of great new, like I said, companies are refurbing these films. They're doing 2K scans and 4K scans of the negative, so these films look better than they ever did in the theater. So, you know, buy this stuff, support these lower, these companies and put this shit on your big screen. Uh, do you use Criterion? I, 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 uh, not the service, but I, I obviously buy quite a bit of Criterion uh, discs. So I bought a couple. So I do, yes, I use them in terms of collect their, what they're putting out and they do some great stuff too, but I haven't tried out their service, but I, I think I've heard good things about it. I have a DVD store, uh, which is, they sell secondhand DVDs really cheaply. So I have a budget of like $25 a week that I spend on movies and I buy like 10 or 15 movies. Nice. For 25 bucks. And I, I have weird shit. And 
I and they have like things like Kill Bill and all the big ones, but I randomly found um, the Holiday Inn, uh, which is the Diamond Anniversary Edition with Bing Cosby and Fred Astaire. The Holiday Inn, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great, yeah. And there you it's go. like, why do you have this? <laughs> it was great. I found in the same week I found the Forbidden Planet and Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's great. And there's also special editions of those down, you know, and you can, you can go back and forth on it. But, but yeah, that, again, you know, that's why I always support your physical media. Don't give up on physical media. There's a lot of good stuff that's happened. There's a lot of companies that are some really good collectors. I collect steel books and the artwork on them is gorgeous. And the steel books will last longer than cheap plastic cases. So I'm always wondering for that. Uh, and there's new stuff coming out every, you know, every week, every month that these companies are doing. And weird shit that hasn't been seen in years, like you were just saying. You know, there's a lot of weird shit out there that, you know, 80s and beyond that deserves to be rediscovered and looked at and owned and, and appreciated. So not everything's on digital, folks. Don't don't get too hooked on that shit because one day that might not be there, but your your Blu-ray collection will be. <laughs> yeah. Plus, um, they, Disney's editing uh, their old movies. Like they're, they're censoring them. Yeah, they are. They're yeah, censoring they're, them and they're making the animation different. Yeah, it's very hard to find a un, well. It's very hard to find a copy of Song of the South, that I think is a great example. You might be able to get it where you are. That's uh, very hard for us in the U.S. to get a hold of that in this form. No, they didn't put out a DVD of it. So, oh, like, really? No, so you, can't so get you can't get it. Um, I, I'm surprised that you can. By the way, I saw the Star Wars Holiday Special, right? And right. they cut out because it's the only thing that YouTube cares about. They cut out the cartoon. So the thing that everyone says is the only good bit of the fucking movie, and I didn't see it. That is actually the best part of the movie. <laughs> I have to say, the big the Boba Fett cartoon is the best part of that. That that's so bizarre that they got that out. I have seen the Boba Fett thing; it's pretty, it's awesome. Well, I shouldn't say awesome, but it's it's the best thing of that special, and definitely adds to the mythology. Uh, in fact, they're using a gun. There's a gun they're using in that the cartoon gun that he had in that special that they actually made an actual prop for the Mandalorian series. And you know, plus is going to be, um, so that, that does, it does circle back around, but so yeah, if you can find it somewhere or we get a, a bootleg copy, uh, not that I'm advocating bootlegs, but if you can get a bootleg oh, yeah. copy, <laughs> yeah, you can buy a bootleg copy that will have the cartoon. I highly, yeah, I definitely seek it out. It's definitely, just watch that. I don't, don't, I don't, don't really watch the rest it. of it. Yeah. Your yeah. life is better than mine because <laughs> you haven't seen the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. We're not at, we're not recommending the film, the whole film, but the, the cartoon. Yes, I will recommend the cartoon. Um, also, this uh, there's a scene where the Wookiee is just masturbating in the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, and B. Arthur is in it inexplicably. So is Harvey Corman. He shows up as character too. It's a bizarre. Yeah, that's a big. If this was a bad movie review show, we I I would talk about the Star Wars Holiday Special on every episode. Well, the best part was uh, Princess Leia all coked up. <laughs> was, yeah, she was high as a kite in that. And you can tell her eyes are glassy, which is the best the, the indicator of cocaine. She's completely <laughs> out of the planet. Uh, and then, of course, she did that up until her death. So, I mean, you know, where do you go with that? So, <laughs> were a weird time. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, they were, dude. <laughs> they were, but it was a great, creative, fun time. I'm telling you, it was. Uh, I, I do miss. Uh, I'm often nostalgic for it, but I'm glad I was there at the Zeitgeist at my age level to appreciate all of that. Shit. And I still were, you know, and I knew it then too. I'm like, I better appreciate this now because, you know, this this is not this may not last. And sure enough, it did not. I'm I think glad. I'm glad that I uh, was bored in the '90s, <laughs> so that every all the bad ones people already knew were bad, so I could just yeah. go back and watch the good ones. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you do have perspective on that. So we did not. We watched everything and I had to had to wade through it and spend a lot of money and time too in the theater because uh, video was just kicking in. So yeah, we had home video too, but that was, that was always a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. You, you went by cover art. You went by the the box cover art. I'm always. literally doing that now. Yeah, no, I, and I, I recommend that anybody out there, guys, just look at a cover art or something, just rent it or buy it and watch it. Sometimes you have to do a blind buy, and that's the best way. Because like, there's a film called Galaxy of Terror, which um, James Cameron worked on, did special effects on her second unit on. Um, it was a Roger Corman film. That's a great film. Uh, it's a great B-movie B movie science fiction film. But if you look at the cover art, look at the poster art, it's crazy poster art. And you're like, well, how can I not rent that? <laughs> because, and it's that's, worth it. It does. Everything... 
everything on the poster art, nothing happens in the film on that poster art, but the movie's still great, you know? So it was, that was a great time just to walk into a video store and just take a chance on some whacked out cover art that's usually much better than the film uh, ever will be. <laughs> but, that, but sometimes you find gems. Sometimes you find some really good stuff. It, it's, it's why um, posters suck now because they don't need <laughs> they do. it for advertising. And I have a website that, uh, I have a website. I found a website that has like every poster released and all the teaser posters are always better than the like official oh, one. Oh yeah. Well, they just released one for Spider-Man Far From Home, which is coming out in July. That's a terrible poster. Folks, if you have not seen that poster, go look at it. It looks like a cheap Photoshop job of the three actors slapped on a background. Which is hilarious. Like, this is, it's, not, it's not artwork, it's just a Photoshop. It's terrible. It's hilarious because uh, in the MCU, Spider-Man Homecoming was also one of the worst posters. Yeah, well, get ready to see that one. Go Google that when you're done. Let me tell you, it gets worse. Uh, I don't know if the film's going to be any good. I'm not, I guess I'm off the Marvel train for right now, but uh, boy, that poster looks like shit. There's no way I'm going to come back to Marvel for Spider-Man. I've seen like seven Spider-Man movies and the best one was the one done by Sony uh, into the Spider-Verse. That one was amazing. That was amazing. And second, I would go with uh, Spider-Man Part 2 with Doc Ock. I thought Raimi's, that was fairly good. Uh, Other than that, I think they're the two best Spider-Man. And then it goes down from there. But Into the Spider-Verse, I will recommend. Yes, I, I love that. Um, I love that we talked about literally uh, the movie and then like the 80s and everything around it. I love that. Uh, uh, it was heaps of fun talking with you. <laughs> you too, sir. Absolute pleasure. It's great to reminisce about these great films. And uh, Big Trouble in Little China is a perfect uh, time stamp of the 80s and a perfect representation of the type of film that was produced in the 80s and a good starting point for people if you're not familiar with this type of genre and this type of these type of films start with big trouble and then go from there there's a lot a lot to be un, uh, uncovered it's and discovered a, it's a great time stamp of the 80s and uh if they ever did it again it wouldn't work because this is super 80s yeah well they're taught the rock is bought the rights the rock and they're they're, they're going to do a continuation on it at some point i hope they don't I don't, and there's some comics out that, that kind of continue the story that if people want to seek out. So there's some mythology stuff. I like, but like I said, you can't replicate this. It really, you really can't. You can't replicate the dialogue, the scenes, the the special effects. It's just uh, in of its time, like Buckaroo Banzai. It just should be left there. Leave it in the '80s so people can still love it. Don't don't bring it up to 2019. They tried that with Robocop and it sucked. They tried it with Total Recall and that sucked. So. Let's learn our lessons. With folks. any, with all the live <laughs> with every eighties move, they have they've all I mean, the live action. They tried it with Ghost, and that failed horribly. Yeah, yeah. they tried it with Ghostbusters. Oh. Uh, they they tried it with every eighties movie. They tried oh, it with yeah. every uh, animated Disney movie, yep. and they all suck except for Jungle Book, which is mainly animated. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, just the animated stuff was fine, folks. Yeah, exactly. You can't just stop doing it, people. Hopefully now we're in the 90s. This year's in the 90s. These remakes and leave the 80s a little while. I mean, they're they're doing a movie on Dora the Explorer. And as (laughs) someone who had a sister that watched Dora the Explorer, I called her up and I was like, hey, uh, do you give a shit? And she's like, no, no one liked Dora the Explorer. It was just sort of on. Right. Yeah, exactly. That that trailer didn't look great. Yeah. <laughs> but that's in the 90s, so I guess we're okay. Maybe we're out of the 80s now. Maybe start, people start remaking crappy 90s films um, <laughs> or, or, or crappy versions of good 90s films. If they, you know, uh, and maybe we're off the hook for a while. But uh, yeah, they're just they're people. Just, yeah, just go back and watch the originals. You don't, you don't need to watch see the originals. Movies. Seek out old movies in general. There's yeah, yeah, I just stuff out there. There's plenty of stuff out there. And like I said, there's a lot of companies like I aforementioned ones that I mentioned, Vinegar Syndrome, Screen Factory, Arrow Films that are putting out special editions of old films that you guys will love. They look brand new. So you'll love them. So yeah, definitely seek them out. Uh, okay. Uh, it was great talking with you. Uh, you too, sir. Are you going to have your podcast on soon? Yeah, we are going to have it out too. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks. We will be back. Signalsoffury.com is the website, folks. You can That's our website, but you can find us under Soiled Restroom Cinema on any of your podcast apps just search soil restroom cinema will pop up subscribe tell your friends about it have them subscribe and listen to our past episodes we got a lot of great content on there that's still up and still um still funny so and we will be back with brand new stuff very soon i can't wait to see it um you can subscribe to this podcast each week i talk to a guest about their favorite movie uh it's always a great time uh you can follow me on twitter at aussie nerds pod 
You can like my Facebook page, Aussie Nerds. Uh, follow me on Letterboxd uh, under Aussie Nerds. I'm great at branding. Um, I put lists up there and I log every movie that I've seen. Excellent. I'm on Letterboxd too, under Honor Night. So if you want, I want to say, I haven't, I just, I just signed up for Letterboxd. So don't get crazy people, but I will be logging stuff and putting some lists up as well. So Letterboxd is a good place to go uh, for some recommendations and reviews. Uh, okay. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>